Let me tell you today about Anchor, the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer, or you can record it on another device or platform and transfer it to Anchor. It will distribute your podcast for you through Apple Podcasts or Spotify, and you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast right in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. We welcome in a man that with one look at his beard could make you sprout a chest hair. He's had a career in the bigs dating back to 2010 where he swatted 98 career homers, over 300 ribbies, and over 60 stolen bases. You may know him from his time with the Nationals, where he was a staple in their lineup for seven seasons, and he had to license his right arm as a weapon. We welcome in Danny Espinosa. Danny has a podcast called Connected by the Seams, where him and two of his buddies talk about their time in the bigs and life lessons. Um, and for those who haven't listened, I'd say it's a great listen. Uh, Barrett on, that was one of the best guests. And uh, I know from a fan like myself, um, I love hearing former professionals talk about their time in the big leagues and have stories that you might not know or have heard before. Yeah, him, Garrett Smith, Seth Smith, and himself, childhood buddies, had amazing guests on their show. If you haven't listened to the Eric Barrett episode that they have, you got to check that out. We talked with Danny a little bit in the beginning about California State University, Long Beach, his time there, and just his overall experience getting looked at to be in the big leagues and then getting drafted by the Nationals. Third round pick, rose to the minors rather quickly. He was shifted over from shortstop to second base because Dean Desmond was already there. Talked a little bit about that, but where you guys are going to hear is after he got drafted in 2010, he pretty much we went into a little bit of depth about his career after that, his approach as a hitter, his potential 2020 seasons that he's had in the past, how many times he's gotten hit by a pitch. There was a lot that we cover. So we'll hop. We'll let you guys hop right into where we left off with Danny in our interview. Eric, anything you want to say to the people before we get to the interview? For any of our Nats fans that are listening, uh, you know he, he was a staple of that lineup for seven years, and really just cool talking with him. He has a lot of great stories and and really nice guy to talk to. So we hope you enjoy this interview. Yeah, again, it's going to pick up. We're talking about right his approach as a hitter compared to when we've had all the pitchers on our show we get right to his approach as a hitter and from there you'll be able to hear the glorious Danny Espinosa and his approach to the plate and his overall his career that he's had so far in the big so enjoy It's really interesting because you're the first hitter we've actually had on the show. We've sp- we've spoken with Oral Hershiser and Matt Caps and Chad Cordero and Ty Butchery and a couple other guys, and mm-hmm. all these guys from the pitching perspective how they attack. But I don't think people realize how hard it is to hit. I think being a hitter in the big leagues is the hardest thing of any sport. And how much like you said it right there, you kind of have to guess because when they're throwing 95 to 100 miles an hour, you have you know, point two seconds to make your decision if you're going to swing, and you have to guess what's coming. Correct. You don't. So, can you just talk about the process of how you would go about 
analyzing hitters or pitchers and, and kind of to know what to look for when you go up to the plate? Yeah, I mean, I would say, you know, having been a career, like, 230 hitter, I, I'm not the best at, at doing it. But, yeah, it's uh, it's one of those things where there's an educated guess, right? They Pitchers tend to fall in patterns. And mm-hmm. now, I would say in the last three years, the amount of information that's out there for hitters to see, okay, what do these guys do, runners to score in position? What do they want to go to first pitch, one oh oh one one one. I mean, it can be probably an overload now, but you are getting the information to where you, if you can remember some of these counts, say they make a pitching change and someone comes in and he, you like to see what he does right away, runner in scoring position when he comes in the game, it'll break down exactly what he wants to do pitch to pitch count, every single count. Wow. So if you can somewhat have an idea, um, to have an educated guess, you can't be strictly guessing, but if it's an educated guess, that's how that's part of hitting, right? I mean, it's kind mm-hmm. of pitching too. Like, I don't think he's looking for a, a, a fastball away. Okay, maybe he's looking fastball and you get one by. But it's the same thing with hitting. You know, you're, you're making an educated guess on what you think they can do. Um, at the same time, though, like if I'm going, okay, he's gonna throw me a, a one zero slider, and I'm not a very good slider hitter. Why am I gonna go look for that pitch? Right. You know, I, you have to be able to take that information and then also use it to where where is it benefiting you the most? Where is he going to throw the pitch that, you know, where does he attack the zone where you like it the most and what counts and stuff like that? So I think it's just being educated on what's going on. And then, yeah, and that's not all the time. Yeah, I don't think a lot of some guys are very, very much like that, you know, pitch to pitch, count to count. But a lot, I mean, I think certain guys educate themselves a little bit, and then there's just their natural talent takes over. You look at Anthony Rendon, that guy's – I would think that he probably looks at what the pitcher throws, and he probably already has an idea of having, having faced all the guys. And then he goes up there, and he looks for what he can hit. And he can cover so much, and he can drive so many pitches in the zone that it doesn't really matter. He's just that good of a ball player. Right. And going back to your career, one of the things I noted, obviously – First full season in 2011, you finished sixth in National League Rookie of the Year voting, had 21 homers, 17 steals, and things were just looked like they were clicking well for you. But you also got hit 19 times, which tied for the MLB lead. You wore those right. bruises proudly, my man. But like, what did did you? Was it just because you felt like were you? Do you feel like you were over the plate some? Do you feel like that just it just worked out that way? How come you felt like that you were consistently one of the top players getting plunked all the time? Well, there's multiple reasons. Um, you know, I, I used to get pitched inside a lot. And whether I'd back off the plate or not, I would just – pitchers tend to pitch me in and a lot of up and in. Mm-hmm. Um, so just by natural, you know, if they yank a pitch a little bit, you know, they're just going to have a good shot to hit you. On the other end is that say I was struggling. I was in a, in a point where I was struggling – and there was a big situation or I could flip the lineup if I was hitting eighth in front of the pitcher and there was two outs and I could get the pitcher up with two outs and he gets out. We have the, you know, the top of the lineup the next inning. If you threw something at me, I wasn't moving if I was struggling. For the situation of maybe I was hitting six in the lineup that day and the guy behind me was swinging a really hot bat and I wasn't feeling it that day, I was going to give the next guy the opportunity. I wasn't right. going to get out of the way. Knowing, just trying to be aware of, okay, I haven't been feeling great in my last two at-bats. Something's right at me. I'm not going to move out of the way because he wants to move my feet or whatever. 
And that honestly, that went into my mind sometimes of, okay, I'm not swinging the bat. Well, Wilson Ramos is swinging the shit out of the bat. I'm going to let, I'm going to let Wilson take the shot right here. You know what I mean? If they, if I, if I got hit, I'm, if it's coming at me, I'm not moving. Literally taking one for the team. Um, (laughs) That was was literally my, I mean, there was times that that's what I was thinking in my bats. And some people can say it was cowardly or whatever. Oh, you, you should be up there swinging it. Okay. But if I'm not swinging it well, I have an opportunity to get Wilson Ramos or whoever was behind me that was swinging the bat well up to bat with, you know, an important time of the game. Guess what I'm doing? I'm going to try to, you know, if something's thrown near me or hit, you know, at me, I'm not moving. Yeah. And and for the next batter, the pitcher might be able to throw inside and leave something over the plate. Uh, I want to exactly. go back to 2011 and 2012. You had 17 and 20 stolen bases. But it seems like after that, you didn't run as much. You didn't have uh, any double-digit steal seasons. Um, you know, why, why did you change your style up? Um, the stealing, so a lot of that changed based on where I hit in the lineup. So when you hit eighth in the lineup, which people, well, I don't think a lot of people understand, is that they don't want you to steal for the fact that if there's, well, first of all, if there's two outs, you know, if you're on first base and there's typically two outs, you're trying to get to second base. So the guy gets a single, you can score. Mm-hmm. Well, they really don't want you with two outs to try to steal a base, get thrown out. And now the pitcher's leading off the top of the inning. Mm-hmm. Second thought is if I'm leading off the inning, I get a base hit on first and try to stand to steal. They'd rather just have the pitcher try to bunt me over. Mm-hmm. So it takes away opportunities on a, left a slow lefty or just a guy that you know because the pitcher's up he's not going to pay much attention to me it took you know it, it took opportunity it takes opportunity away typically from the eight hole hitter that's why you won't see eight hole hitters typically steal a lot of bases in front of the pitcher right so going back i think we talked a little bit about the struggle so i don't really want to dwell on that too much i do mm-hmm. want to talk about that you uh came back Towards the end of your time with the Nationals, your last year with them, actually, you killed it. Even though your batting average necessarily wasn't the greatest, you still had 24 right. homers and 72 RBIs that year, showing the world that you still could hit. And I remember that season, you were killing it in the beginning of the year. Like You started out extremely hot. Do you feel right. that you made just some adjustments uh, to your swing? Do you feel that you were reading the ball better? Uh, what did you feel that kind of clicked more for the end of that your time with the Nationals that season? Yeah, that first half, um, I just kind of got on a roll and just started hitting as far as, you know, taking what it was given to me rather than trying to too, too much. And um, that second half, I, I, I really don't know what happened the second half. I was a little tired and I'd slid again um, that second half and jammed my shoulder a little bit. Nothing that, that would have ever hurt hurt me, but I don't know if it just created discomfort or bad habit but really it was probably just tired try to play through it try to you know stuff like that and I don't know I I have no real answer for it for what happened on the second half the first half though was just I don't know I got into a to a point where I was just comfortable and I said you know excuse my language on your podcast but I was like (laughs) fuck it I really don't care like I'm gonna go out love it I'm going to fucking play. And, you know, what happens is what happens. And that's what I tried to do. And, um, you know, for the first, that first half of the season, it had worked out real well for me. I think us national fans and David and I live in the DC area. um, We, you were known for your defense. I mean, you had a cannon of an arm. You made some great, great defensive plays. 
but one really sticks out, and it's it's a very high IQ play, and it's when Max Scherzer threw the no-hitter against the Pirates to end the eighth inning, and you're in the shift uh, in second base. And this is before people had the, the positional charts in their hat, and they see right. where people spray the ball. What was your thought process? Because you you're the reason why that no-hitter happened. Right, so... So what happened was I always had played Pedro, knowing Pedro really well. I always played him in a shift, and I always played him, um, you know, a little bit in the outfield. But on that one with with him, I wanted to play deeper because I was a little bit out of my out of spot on my normal shift, and so I wanted to play deeper so I could get a little bit more range, and. Um, yeah, by chance, I mean, that ball was hit to my right, and I remember when it was hit, I was just thinking, oh, shit, there's no way I'm getting to this ball, <laughs> you know, and I was, I, and I actually, and the reason I didn't think I'd get to it, because I, I if, in order to make the play, if you watch, I had to charge that ball, mm-hmm. right, I had to charge that ball in, in order to go get it, and I knew I could stop it just to stop it, but obviously, that's not the goal at that time with where the, with what was going on in the game, and um Man, really, I was just thinking, man, I got to catch it and get rid of it as fast as I can. Even, you know, my even in my head, I was like, fucking throw it in the stands for air. And <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, that's that's what I was thinking in my head. Like, at least I'll I'll, <laughs> I'll maintain the no-headed. I'll just throw this bitch in the stands right now and, you know, maybe they'll give it an air. <laughs> so yeah. I was just really trying to make the quickest play I could, um, but in my head, I knew I had a little bit of time with Pedro because he's not real fast. So I knew I had some time to to at least play deep and and give myself some extra space to go get the ball. Did Max buy you a steak after that? And I don't think Max even said thank you or hi or anything because you know when Max pitches, it's like true. Ah, that's <laughs> it. Like Max doesn't know there's eight other guys on the field. You know. Right. So, I don't think he even realized it was happening. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Max is a great guy. He took care of me plenty of times in my career with him. That's awesome. Well, going to the last part of your career where you got traded to your hometown, LA Angels, what was it like being traded to the place where you grew up? Oh, man. Very mixed feelings the whole time. Um, never really wanted to go back to to Anaheim to play that was like the one spot I did not want to get traded to to be completely honest um I loved the Angels as a kid growing up I lived down the street um it just I wasn't sure about going home I didn't know if I wanted to ever really play at home in front of family and friends and the other thing is that I like playing on the east coast east coast fans as cutthroat east coast fans can be I enjoy that part of it that's part of the game on the east coast is that you have the intensity of the fans you know fanatics come from the east coast you know and uh i i enjoy that side of it whether they're cussing me out or whatever i never cared it was it was fun it was enjoyable it was uh it was something that made you step up i feel like um it brought another layer to the game that isn't the same on the west coast unless like say you play in san francisco right like they have fans like that and that's why i always loved playing in san fran what a great place to play i love playing in that in that ballpark the fans were great um but really i just i was really up in the air to go back here if i was going to go back west i kind of wanted to go to the dodgers you know that was kind of the (laughs) market team and yeah but um you know i I was fortunate i got to play with uh, mike trout and some other really guys really good guys that uh 
uh, played against for a long time, and uh, I enjoyed playing with those guys. It was it was a great experience. And you made your presence known right away. You had a go-ahead three-run homer in your second game. Yeah, that was probably about the highlight of me <laughs> being an Anaheim. Uh, Danny, you're great at first impressions, Anaheim. man. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was just, you know, it was one of those things that that was, you know, I, that was my first hit was was that home run. And um, kind of just, I kind of teetered for a little bit, did all right, was in the low 200s, up and down, up and down, and then I just got colder than ice and then uh found my way out of out of california pretty quick <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah i don't know it was it was you know mixed mixed feelings playing anaheim love playing at home i love my home i still have a house here and spend time here with my family but um very mixed feelings i didn't want to leave the nationals i i never had really wanted to um i know everyone thought when i didn't show up to fan fest that i was protesting you know not coming to fan fest when they had traded for adam eaton but in all reality what really happened that when they traded for adam eaton i called him i said okay well do i even need to come to fan fest anymore and they said no <laughs> so i knew i was getting, tra- I knew I was getting traded oh you know? god so it's not like it was my call i called him i was like well do you know do i even need to come now and they're like no like we made the trade and i knew at that point they were waiting they were going to trade me once they picked up an outfielder so it was just riding on the wall. I was like, all right, well, <laughs> I'm not making a trip cross country to, to <laughs> be traded while I'm at fan fest. <laughs> you're, wow. you're still playing ball, though, right? Are you playing with the, I think I read you're in the Mexican League with the Acero State Monclova. Is that how you say it? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm with the Acereros, and um, it's like the Steelers. Like, they're the Steelers of Monclova. Monclova is the city. Okay. And, um, it's kind of crazy. The team that's down there, the teams that are down there, how many American and how many big leaguers are down there, it kind of shocked me. And it has to do with kind of the switching direction in which baseball has gone, you know. Um, our team is a good team. I mean, we had Bartolo Colon, Rajah Davis, Chris Legend. Carter, Eric, Eric Ibar, and myself. Uh, wow. Bruce, Ma- Bruce Maxwell, who just signed with the Mets. Uh, to go to their 60-man camp, um, he was—he's on our team. I mean, we have notable big leaguers on our team. Fernando Salas. I mean, it's—and that's how it is throughout that league, though. And I was kind of shocked to see that many guys down there. But um, yeah, I mean, I'm still playing. I'm only 33. I want to play for another, you know, two, three years, um, and then just see what happens. I'd love to get the opportunity to go to Japan or Korea. That's something I'd really like to experience. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think it'd be a, I think it'd be a lot of fun, not just for me, but for my family, for my kids. I think it'd be a great experience. So, if I were to put you on that mound right now, what's the radar gun going to say? I don't know. If there's a team listening, you want to come try to put me on the mound? We can try it out <laughs> and see if it works. I'll let it eat for about 15 pitches and see if I can get through an inning. You could Ricky and Keel it, man. I'll try it. Yeah, go the opposite way. I'll try it. If someone wanted to say, hey, let's give him a shot to go down the mountain. Come give me a shot. I'll go do it. I don't care. <laughs> if, if a team was getting blown out and asked a position player to pitch, were you the first to volunteer? I said I wanted to a couple of times, but they wouldn't. They would okay. never. And then if they did, they were like, you cannot throw the ball hard. Just lob it in there. If they crush you, they crush you. Just don't get hurt. <laughs> but I don't know. It would have been hard to just lob it in there. The competitor in you just wants to rear back and try to blow it by somebody. <laughs> <laughs>
before we let you get out of here, I had I made a little game for when you came on, and I call it home run home run Nosa or strikeout Nosa. Okay. And what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna read off ten pitchers' names, and you either homered okay. off them with one or fewer K's, or you either did not homer off them and had at least seven K's against them. Okay. So I'm going to let Eric answer first, and then you can answer second, just in case you 100% know the answer. And then we'll see who has the better score at the end, all right? right. I'm playing with house money. This is a guy (laughs) versus a guy that actually went through it, but if I We're going to test his memory, see if he remembers. Okay, I have a good idea. Number one, Cole Hamels. No. Uh, Eric, you go first. I'm going to say strikeout. Strikeout Nosa and Danny, you said no. Yeah. Okay, yeah, you're both correct. You were yeah. uh you had ten K's against him, no homers. Yeah, right. that was one guy. He always uh, man, I don't ever remember facing him where he wasn't throwing ninety five and his changeup was like eighty. I, I remember him not having a good day against us. Unbelievable. Uh, he is he was I think people that watch now don't even remember how good he was with like the Phillies prime. Like Yeah. He could be literally I mean, a guy was unhittable some days. Number two, Eric, start off with you. Jeremy Hellickson. Uh, I'm going to say home run. Home run? Danny? Multiple, yes. Yeah, you Multiple were homer. You were five of nine uh, and had a homer, but no career strikeouts against him. Yeah. Over 500 batting average. Destroyed yep. him. Number Jeremy, three. Jeremy, Jeremy, Jeremy's a buddy of mine. He's a good dude, too. <laughs> <laughs> Number three, A.J. Burnett. Eric, what do you think? Uh, I'm going to go home run. Nope. I did not, couldn't touch A.J. Burnett until the last time I faced him. I got two hits off him finally, and before that, he owned me. Yeah, he, he had eight Ks against you, but you're right. Yeah, you did have two hits in the last appearance. On yep. your, uh, according at least to the baseball savant page, yep, uh, or baseball reference number four, Ian Kennedy, Eric. Uh, Ian Kennedy had a twenty-one win season, so I feel like he pitched really well. I'm gonna say strikeout. Danny, um, I gotta think of where I faced what teams I faced Ian with. He was with the Yankees originally. And then the Diamondbacks. Yeah. Now he's a closer. Now he's in the Royals. You know, I don't know. I think I took. I think I took him deep. I, you know, I that was my first collegiate base hit. So you're going with so, Homer Nosa? I know he punched my my ticket a couple of times, but I think I got a. I think I took him deep once. Well, Danny, you got this one incorrect. No homers, yeah. seven Ks. Okay. Yeah. I wow. I, I can't believe I'm tied. I couldn't. I, I couldn't remember on that one. I mean, he. I. I don't even know my numbers on, but I felt like I had some hits off him. Maybe not. No, I mean these. I um when I had pulled it up, you there were some where you actually had decent batting averages. I just you didn't homer yeah. necessarily off. Of oh, them. okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe not. Yeah, I guess not. I know he hit me a couple of times. He hit me one time in the knee. I thought my knee broke in half. Oh, God. Yeah, that wasn't a good one. All right, so the score is 3-3 three to three after 4. Next one. Okay. Clayton Richard. Eric. Uh, I'm going to say home run. Danny. Homer. 
Yeah, two for seven, home run, no Ks. Yeah. Nice. Number six, Bud Norris. Um, Bud Norris. I'm going to say strikeout. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't hit Bud Norris well, I don't believe. Yeah, zero homers, eight Ks. Yeah. Guys are on it. All right, next one, Miguel Gonzalez. Eric. Uh, I'm going to say home run. Danny? Yeah, I don't know. Miguel Gonzalez, what did I do against him? Oh, no, yeah, Homer. You got it. You did hit that. Baltimore, Baltimore, I took him back in Baltimore. Yes, sir. Three for seven career. One Homer. Yeah. Yep. All right, number eight. We're still tied. Okay. Jacob DeGrom, Eric. Uh, strikeout. Yeah. Yeah. Over. was tough. Yeah, eight Ks. I thought I might get a, Eric to think that uh, I threw that in there as a curveball. I mean, I feel like yeah. most people would strike out against Jacob Degrom. That's fair. He's 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 tough. Number nine, Tim Lincecum. Eric. Um, I'm gonna say home run because I think you came up when he started to tail off. Well, I hit a home run, but not when he was tailing off. But yes, I went <laughs> to right, right center off of him and in San Francisco. Eric, he called you out. He said, no, nah, man, I hit him in his prime. He was. I mean, 2012, look at his numbers. Was, he won the, um, but that was the year the Giants won the World Series. So yeah, he definitely Correct. had to be a part of that. Yeah. Um, all right, last one. Jordan Lyles, Eric. Uh... I'm going to say home run. Danny? It was a home run, and it was in the second decade in Houston. Yeah, you got it. I actually watched that highlight. Two for eight for the homer. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I can't believe I tied Danny in this game. I mean, it's that one. Yeah, but, I mean, you still Damn. crushed him. Yeah, that one. I, I, who, who, what is the one I missed? You missed uh, Ian Kennedy. Yeah, Kennedy, shit. <laughs> no, it's still, I mean, you had 98 career homers, man. I mean, to remember every single, I mean, you pretty much remembered all the other ones I listed on here. I could, re- I would say for the most part, I could, wouldn't remember them. Ian Kennedy one, I thought maybe, eh, maybe I didn't have good numbers on him, but I thought maybe I had a homer off of him when he was with Arizona. I was thinking with Arizona for some reason. He used so, to be a hard thrower. Didn't he throw like 96 in his prime, something like that? He still does a, a bullpen, I think. Okay, yeah. If he, I mean, he does close. That makes sense. He's like, um, when I faced him, he was like anywhere from like 91, 92 to like 95, but just a devastating, I mean, really, really, talk, talk about a spin rate, high spin rate curveball, and his changeup was just unbelievable. He had a string on his chain. He'd pull that bitch back from you. <laughs> <laughs> Dan, Danny, man, your presence was absolute present. Thank you so much for coming on the show. You, uh, it was a real treat talking with you. Thank you guys for having me. I enjoyed it. It was a real good time and uh, enjoyed your podcast a lot. Thanks, man. And if you want to see more of Danny, he's at Danny Espinosa underscore three on both Twitter and Instagram. And if you haven't checked out his podcast, make sure you check it out. Connected by Seams. Him and his boys run some great stuff over there. So check them out. Thanks again, Danny. Thanks, guys.